Well, 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 look who we got here tonight on this week's episode. This is your host, Patrick, your GM, and I'm joined with by uh, the initial instigator, the pirate portrayer of the scallywag himself, Tyler. Tyler, how are you doing tonight? I'm pretty good, Patrick. Thank you for asking. <laughs> so it begins. I said initial instigator there because, yeah, when we started Cosmic Crit back in 2017, you told me you wanted to play some Pathfinder as well. Uh, maybe do a first edition AP. So we, we found a couple of online gamers who we're now friends with. And uh, yeah. uh, we're, we're just finishing up a campaign of like three years of two-hour weekly sessions. That was your doing. All my fault. All my fault. Uh, yeah, now that that game is coming to a close, we are talking about you know what we're going to do next with some free time. And the idea was floated about doing Skull and Shackles. For everyone that doesn't know it, the Pirate AP, um, you had not heard of it, Arr. but you are a huge pirate fan. I'm a I'm a pirate buff. I've been for many years, and uh, which kind of makes you a history buff, right? A little, but yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I mean, there's two there's two sides to like pirate history, right? There's actual historical facts of pirates and what they did and how varied it is, versus like the romanticized history of pirates. And like, both are intriguing and both are interesting. And then there's like the Disney romanticization of pirates, which is also interesting. So like. I like all of that, but when it, obviously if, when it comes to fantasy escapism, I like the romanticized pirate version of uh, history, which is always uh, fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like space pirates. <laughs> space pirates also pretty cool. Uh, maybe and that that's definitely. I mean, it's it's the reason why when when I made a dross back in season one, I had him associated with the free captains because oh, like oh yeah, I always like to try and make my character somehow associated with pirates. In season two, Nikithi sold weapons to the free captains at some point in his backstory. He, he and Adras even had met at some point in his backstory. Mm-hmm. So the only the, the season three is the first time I've ever made a character who doesn't have some connection to pirates in that I know of. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yet, in any way. And then, so why not for our wonderful Patreons, uh, make just a pirate speaking of our, our patreon this is a bonus for for the people that have supported our our podcast for the last year or so but yeah do you think that we would be doing this podcast if you didn't have uh, as great a love for pirates as you did as you do i guess uh i think i mean maybe we wouldn't be doing skull and shackles mm-hmm. i could see us doing like what is it iron gods uh, yeah, yeah, that that was one that we've talked about, kind of bandied about, because that's the science fiction Pathfinder AP. You know, it's like probably right. one of the the more science fiction ones. Yeah, so I could have seen us doing like a an Iron Gods conversion, or maybe just even doing Extinction Curse, the PF two campaign, mm-hmm. uh, if we wanted to do that. But I do like that mm-hmm. we're doing something a bit different. There are a lot of people who are doing Pathfinder two E, and they're doing it obviously awesome. And uh, so I like that we're doing, we're sticking to just kind of doing something that's fun for us and very kind of unique to our, our, our backstories. I'm, I'm super sad. I was really disappointed when I first learned about school and shackles. I was like, I'm going to buy all the books. Like I must own all these books, (laughs) but they're pretty old and they're kind of hard to get. Yeah. Yes, that is, that is true. I was about to say, where are mine? I think they're up on my shelf here because I've, I've grabbed them 
them down. Uh, I was, I GM'd this years ago and it was still possible to get them. You, you could still find them every once in a while in, in a game store, but they were probably some of the, the hotter APs. So I think I ordered a few on eBay and things like that that were in, in yeah. very good condition. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's like I said, one of Paizo's most popular APs. They've turned it into their adventure card game. So there's a oh, card game version right. of it. And yeah, it's one that I really hope that they can get back to in the same way that they did with Kingmaker. Kingmaker got a, a full second edition update. Yeah. And I feel like this one would be right to to kind of convert, which is one of the reasons I wanted to challenge myself that way. Anyway, uh, let, let's talk about pirates real quick. When in your life did did your love of pirates start? Was uh, was it the oh. Goonies or some kind of media like that? For me, oh. I, I probably became most aware of pirates because of Muppet Treasure Island. Muppet Treasure Island or yeah. the Goonies. Yeah. So I mean, my love of pirates actually started in a very different place. It started in a AP history class in high school. Ooh. We Our were historian. doing, yeah. So I, I took AP history my sophomore year in high school hmm. and we were doing a whole section on trade. And so we got to pick any period of time and any form of popularized trade and do a report on it. I was able to, I chose for whatever reason, piracy. And I, I believe my report was piracy and its effect on trade during the American revolution. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I had to write like a 15-page paper about that. Um so I bought a bunch of uh resources and historical books about that and I read a bunch about it. And one of the books I read during that part was like The History of Pirates by and I think people the author is debated. It was by it was done by a pen name originally and I think mm-hmm. it's contributed to like Defoe now at this point or something like that. Somebody else. I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But I believe that's right. So and and his was a very like romanticized retelling of a lot of the pirate captains during the golden age of pirates. So I read that and I loved it. And mm-hmm. then um not soon after that was I introduced to all so then I started looking for pirate media and I found Pirates of Penzance, and I've seen that like three <laughs> times. And I found Muppet Treasure Island, and I, I watch Muppet Treasure Island every year. And <laughs> and um and then the Pirates of the Caribbean movies came out. Oh man, out. you must have been so stoked when uh, when yeah. Johnny Depp got up there and knocked it out the park with its Keith yeah. Richards impression. And <laughs> it was it it was pretty grand. And so then talk about a golden age. And then so then my my friends obviously caught on to this they started calling me like pirate tie my one of my buddy's fathers called me captain blue butt and okay. uh, that i'm sure that won't stick here on the podcast <laughs> and so it just that. was it was kind of born and and i became very much obsessed with any kind of pirate media uh f- like famous like famously uh when we were we sat in line for the third movie of pirates of the uh, pirates of the caribbean and while in line we had a portable dvd player uh and and my friends were all on one side of the screen watching the original pirates of the caribbean and i was on the opposite side of the screen and based on the audio i would tell them what was happening on screen and i did that for the whole movie and that was very fun (laughs) i can't do that anymore but it was it was fun at the time boy we've we've got a psychiatrist level insight into what makes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tyler Dick here. Well, oh, 
the worst part, I'll tell you really bad. The worst part was we actually had a like a winter dance that was pirate themed. Oh and my! Like the school. How, how was could just they like, do this to you? <laughs> I know. I so uh, my parents took me down to Ashland, Oregon, which is where the Shakespearean Festival is. Uh-huh. And the Shakespearean Festival, their costume department will rent outfits to you for money. Mm-hmm. So I rented one of the costumes from like Pirates of Penzance. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wore to the school dance. Ooh. And of course, they, there was a vote for like, you know, the school, the winter king and queen. Um, and my friends pushed so hard for me to be winter <laughs> king for the pirate, uh, for the pirate dance. What's so funny is I lost that, but yeah. I lost it. I lost it to a a, a friend named Taylor Pierce, and so <laughs> my friends are my friends are convinced that people didn't know who to vote for, That's and hilarious. they voted for the wrong person. Uh, I I love that. It's it's a very very uh, funny story. So you're not the the king of pirates. You're more no. a prince of pirates. I'm you would more say. of a prince. <laughs> hilarious. That's that's your Twitter handle at some point, right? Was it much? Right, so after we had been playing Pathfinder First Edition for a while, and you found out about Skull and Shackles AP, um, mm. yeah, what about doing a a Pathfinder adventure path about pirate life excites you the most? Like you're going to be able to inhabit characters in that world, in that kind of fantasy world. Uh, what what are you expecting? What are you excited about? I'm always excited about the seafaring mythos is very fun and pirate mm. jargon is is just very fun i mean there's a reason why there's a talk like a pirate day every september 19th right <laughs> it's it's fun to talk like that but also yeah all like the 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 mis, the mis, the mythicism uh, mm-hmm. around seafaring culture i love like the leviathan and the you know the, the kraken i like all the mystical creatures that are kind of around that sirens mm, there be uh, dragons there I also like that built into kind of pirate like piratical culture is is storytelling. I'm a big I love storytelling in general and I really like that. I like the depictions of, you know, musical and mirth and merriment and it's just very fun. Like pirates are high energy and I'm high energy. So what? it's it, it, it just be- <laughs> So I mean it's also sailing is kind of this I learned how to sail because of pirates. And uh-huh. sailing is just a it's a almost borderline kind of spiritual thing. And I'm just excited to bring it all together into a package and play, you know, play a pirate. Well, speaking of storytelling, we've, we've wasted enough time here. It's time we get to telling story of your character. If you are ready, I be ready by Patrick. This story starts in the yawning and unfocused dream world of a fisherman on the the coastline of of the fever sea is a a wistful dream of smooth glassy waters and and fish voluntarily leaping into the fisherman's boat full baskets enough to feed the surrounding tribes for for weeks brim along the side of this small ship he thinks of all the the amazing times and togetherness that would be at a feast uh, with all these fish would provide but having caught his full in, in the dream, the fisherman went to return to port, but it's where this dream turned dark. Faces from his past life flashed in, in the reflection and the water besides the boat. Faces long dead are missing from his family and friends. The clear skies above darkened. Rain began to pour sideways through the darkness. The fishing nets were empty, and the waves that could crash a tall ship loomed over his head. 
When he awoke, the dark-skinned Banuat man named Jakar had trouble telling this dream world from the real world around him for a moment as he grasped for a, a curved blade at his bedside. Before shaking his his head, clearing himself and realizing he was in his longhouse, safe and sound, but it was a moment later that he heard a distress call from, from down the beach, his mother's voice, and it sent him sprawling outside with his weapon in hand, running down the cliffside outside of Blood Cove on, on the south of the Shackled Seas. He found his elderly mo- mother standing over a, a body, washed aground in the, the rising tide, clinging to a piece of driftwood. It was not but a child, for even in the lands of the Mwangi, they would not call a boy of this age a man, as it was before his his first naming, still taking his mother's name at age 15. This, this white child was no more than 11, deeply injured perhaps, though there were no marks or abrasions on his lily-white, almost ghost-like complexion. He was well unconscious, but this showed to Jakar what the child actually was washing up on his doorstep here. It was an ill omen sent through his dreams. The driftwood this child clung to was the large wooden nameplate of a vessel nearly the size of the boy himself and it read the words the phoenix Tyler we zoom in on this child's cherub like face as it morphs into an adult thin and lean and as we jump forward maybe a decade later we we, we see this character standing atop the forecastle of a three-masted sailing ship a a wicked wind in your face as you sail into a storm, your crew scrambling on the deck of a vessel now called the Cursed Phoenix. Tell us who we are looking at here. Who is this pirate you've come up with? What's her name? What do they look like? That All that good stuff. Cassie Spell is the name. Adventure-loving and adventure-seeking a kind of maybe all-too-reckless and bright-eyed pirate because uh, mostly it is fools that sail into storms. And although Cassius doesn't see himself as a fool, many others probably do. Uh, he wears fine clothes of, of bright colors, a large round brimmed hat that has, you know, different kind of feathers and trinkets stuck into it from various plunder that he's that he has taken over the years. You know, a bandolier with throwing knives. Probably the most notable thing on his body that he's that he's always carried are these tattoos that represent the waves of the sea that kind of move along his skin with him. During this kind of great storm, oftentimes he finds his tattoos will mimic what is going on. And oh, so, so there's just... So right now just, they are roiling. Yeah, they are they are roiling and, and you can see like flotsam and jetsam or detritus amongst them. Well, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, that I mean, they're... These are magical tattoos. It's not like they're on your bicep and you're flexing like, oh, look at the waves. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not, do- I'm not doing that dope move from Peter Pan where the guy <laughs> makes the uh, pirate flag wave. Oh, uh, my God. I you're mean, just an encyclopedia of every pirate ever. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> every pirate uh, in media. I mean, he doesn't know. He didn't. He's had these tattoos forever. Uh, oh, so he, he had them even before he washed ashore? Yeah, and uh, I mean, people have definitely assumed that, that they're of magical nature because as he grew, the tattoo didn't warp. You know, normally, if you if you get a tattoo when you're young and you grow old and you grow tall, the tattoo would warp with your skin. But uh, mm-hmm. these have not. These have continued to develop as he's aged. 
So it is a mystery as of right now what they are, uh, but he doesn't question it. He's not really one to question what's in front of him. He is more one to put a foot down in front of him and uh, just move and, and move forward undaunted by his uh, by by the challenges in front of him. And uh, one of the challenges he often faces are storms and his his issues with uh, you know crew and crew and ship. Yeah, yeah. And and as I said, we're as we're looking at him, you are. Uh, the, the A of the ABCs of Pathfinder 2E character creation. You're a, a human of some type, but you're not really sure of your your background. Your your character just kind of woke up on this beach at age 11 and yep. didn't really know what came before, doesn't know family. Yeah, ancestry is up in the air. What about the background, the B and ABCs for your character? You know, Cassius was raised by a small family. We met Jakar and his, Jakar's mother, Nadia. They're the ones who saved him. They, when he was found unconscious, they nursed him back to health. And Jakar was a skilled shipwright. Mm-hmm. And the uh, his, his family were also skilled uh, fishermen. And so they taught him much of what he knows about, about ships and about fishing or sailing. Um, Nadia was a wonderful storyteller. And it is where it is there where he kind of the the romanticization of adventure and mystery and seeking out what others have found to be unattainable. That kind of that's where that grew in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he otherwise he was he was raised by he was raised by this family and that is who he calls his grandmother and father for that is all he has ever known. And then when he turned nineteen, he decided to make his way out to sea and. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you did that, is that when you chose your profession, your class for your character? Yes. Uh, uh, he, see what I he, did there? Yeah, very much. Uh, he took to sea and uh, swashbush, swashbuckling just took to him naturally. And mm-hmm. he to take on the adventures that he wanted to, he knew that laws would, would probably not suit him well. And uh, thus he was kind of... Uh, destined to this life of kind of swashbuckling piracy that he found himself like immersed into. That's where we we find you years later, maybe at age 21 or so after you've taken these first steps on your own boat. We we see you here kind of very sure-footedly walking the the rope ladders, securing lines on the the ship as you help your, your crew um, set the sails and point directly into a massive storm, one of the many kind of squalls off the the edge of the Eye of Abendego. Behind you, you see your, your first mate, Isabella Locke, kind of scowling equal parts anger and fear as she looks past the, the horizon towards the, the greater storm in front of you. Uh, the crew you've gathered here all came under the promise that you could guide them to lost treasures mm. but uh, yeah um, where have you taken them to to set sail this uh, this one time what, what what treasure are you you promising that you can find there's a old tale of a ship's helm that lays buried somewhere beneath the forever store of the eye of Amendego mm-hmm. and it is this you mean, helm you mean the hurricane that uh, like no one has been able to navigate <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> we we uh, call it a storm, but yes, it is a, a it motionless, is a fixed hurricane that does not blow out. So somewhere beneath that lays a ship's helm that legend has it was once 
owned and used by the pirate goddess Besmara. Mm-hmm. And any ship that is said to have this at their helm, at its helm, is able to sail in any direction regardless of the wind um, at full beam. And obviously for a pirate, that has a massive uh, advantage to it. <laughs> so oh, yeah. he wants to make I mean, a name for himself. He'd be able to outrun any ship ever, right? Yeah, outrun, overtake. Doesn't matter whether you're sailing into the wind or with the wind. It would give a massive strategical advantage. Yeah. And uh, it would allow, you know, and it would also allow him to make port in places that other ships just couldn't. So that is what they, he is trying to steer them to. Unfortunately, it does exist in a place that is rather unnavigatable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there have been countless ships that have sailed around the of Abendego and just gotten unlucky with the, the storms kind of like edges. But yeah, sailing directly into the eye is known to be impossible to the point that no ship has ever come out, uh, save maybe one or two destroyed vessels where the crew have uh, somehow survived. But that leads more credence to the idea that the eye in the, the, the center of the storm is an endless supply of of treasure. Yes. Like, if there is some kind of landmass, perhaps, in the, in the center, then it would have the wrecks of hundreds, if not thousands, of ships over the the hundred years or so, or so mm-hmm. of the of the storm, right? So that that's the the promise that you've given this crew is p- perhaps lost treasures of a mystical MacGuffin of a ship's wheel as well. Is uh, Cassius like a, a tried and true devotee of Bismara, the the pirate goddess? Uh, I wouldn't say he's tried and true. I, I think he I think he treats it like many pirates, where yeah. you know it's. Best not to anger Besmara. You know, he's he doesn't go out of her way for Besmara worship either. There are, I mean, most every single pirate and sailor on the Fever Sea in the shackles prays to her here and there, you know, like almost all your crew prayed going into this storm. But they are indeed some truly devoted priests and priestesses of the goddess that, you know, love just everything that piracy represents very serious in, in taking what they want, making their own way, throwing off any kinds of oppression of different authorities and things like that. And yes, yeah, some captains are so devoted to the idea of currying favor of the goddess that they will dump entire chests of treasure overboard before they go into a battle to, right. to try and get the goddesses. Yeah, side. And, and, and that's the part that I think he doesn't necessarily you know adhere to he believes in you know he he very much is attentive like make your own way you know i think the way he best believes to pay tribute to the goddess bismara is to do his you know to follow his own path and to seek his own fortune and you know i'm sure he throws a i'm sure he throws some cold pieces in the ocean when he's about to do something stupid <laughs> but uh just like he, makes it rain into the waters yeah but i mean i he i don't think he believes that besmara is so into her own followers that whether it's a chest of gold or you know two pieces of gold that that matters to her much uh so yeah as you are thinking about this thinking about maybe you should have thrown some more <laughs> uh, gold and silver pieces into the water here. Uh, the storm seems to get worse and worse as you sail directly into it, your ship getting battered, and a deckhand by the name of uh, Three Foot Jack comes up to you, 
which is odd because he's at least five foot tall and he makes a, a grim report and says, hey, we're taking on water faster than we can pump it out. If we ride any lower in the, the, the crests, we're liable to tip Cap'n. Uh, we need to turn back and try another day. The squall's too much for the Phoenix, sirrah. There's be no reason to try on any other day, as every day be like this one. Keep the heading. Stay true. Okay. Yeah, Tyler, I feel like at this point, Cassius can kind of feel it. You know, the hairs on the back of your neck sparking with electricity as you can feel you're close to some kind of magical presence. A booty sense, if you will. Pirate booty sense. And if you are indeed continuing on sailing, it's not too long before... He would like, I think he would go down the line and he would, you know, say like, you know, dump cannonballs, dump cannons, anything that makes us too heavy. See to it's gone. I think at this point you might have ballistas on board or, or something for uh, for your protection. Cannons and cannonballs. Who has that kind of money? <laughs> Those are uh, uh, a, <laughs> bit, a bit rarer in, in these seas. As you're walking the line and... <laughs> People are like cannonballs. Um, uh, you get to uh, one of your boats, uh, boat swains by a, a huge burly man by the name of Knuckles Gripe. Definitely cracks his knuckles every time before he starts <laughs> to say something and says, uh, I ain't going to let you be uh, the one that smashes us on the rocks or, or torn apart here, Captain. It's time to stand down and let us turn this rig around. Hands off the, the rudder, Cassius, and let us live to see another day. He's, he's like walking towards you. He'll come up to you on the, the forecastle where you're maybe steering the ship. And he is a bruiser of a sailor. You know, his fist kind of squared up like a I'm, I'm going to take you on kind of thing. We are going to enter combat here, Tyler, in a second edition okay. way that is a little bit different. Uh, do you know Do you know how initiative rolls in second edition go? It's whatever I, I want it to be. Yeah, that's true. It can be any skill. It can be perception because you are both standing on a very slippery, wet deck of a ship that is rolling back and forth in the stormy sea waves here. Uh, Initiative is going to be an acrobatics role to determine who has the more sure footing and who can make the first action. Okay. So uh, do you have have that ready to roll? I do. Okay, go right ahead. I will uh, do so. I rolled an 18. Well, I rolled a 12, but it's an 18 altogether. Cassius is pretty acrobatic. Let's see how Knuckles Gripe does. Ooh, not as good. I've rolled a seven on the dice. Uh, so you can you can go first here. He is indeed looking like he is about to throw a punch at you. And he's maybe got twice the amount of muscle mass that you do. Gotcha. It's a boat swim. I think Cassius would, uh, he carries a a fan at his belt at all times. And as the ship rocks in a singular direction, he's going to let that momentum swing him around. And I'm going to try to tumble through my good old knuckles here, which is a acrobatics uh, against his reflex DC. Okay. 25. Holy, what did he roll? <laughs> I rolled a 19. Oh yeah, I was about to say, I think uh, that DC, that's going to be like a 14. Okay, all right. So you've, you've beaten that by a little bit. That's That would be a actual critical success. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, 10, 10 over the DC. So you're, you're behind him before he even realizes, you know, maybe there's like a a, a shade, a shadow that kind of like falls over the forecastle. Yeah. Like you're there one minute, gone the next. Yeah. So thanks to my class feature, that makes him flat-footed to this attack. Ooh. 
and we're going to go ahead and kind of hit him, like, as essentially we're tumbling by, with the flick of a wrist, we're going to hit him with a fan. I'm sorry, a fan? Like a... Yeah. Good lord, I've got the, the vapors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he's known for oftentimes when he's, you know, either telling stories or uh, it's almost like a it's almost like a tell for a bad mm-hmm. hand of poker. He's got this he's got this fan and he just kinda has it whether it's closed or open, you know, he he just it's more for decoration. But it is a uh, it is a fighting fan. And oh. uh, so we're gonna attack with that as a second action, but I've rolled pretty. <laughs> rolled the three on the dice. I think even with flat footed, that is okay. Be a miss here. Well, but we'll roll. Got a, got a third action. Uh, we'll do a third attack and a minus four. Oh, the minus four. That's uh, yeah. But the minus four. That's going to be a eleven. <laughs> not gonna do it so i mean you might be striking him like in the back with this fan but is is bouncing off his hide so he is going to turn on a dime here and he's just gonna start throwing some non-lethal punches your way let's just do one real quick first here 15 on the dice is a hit as yeah, he uh, sees you beating okay. him about the back with the fan and uh, does a almost a haymaker kind of punch. This is going to be D4 of damage, so five points of non-lethal bludgeoning damage as he clips you on the, the jaw here. And he's got a pretty good bonus, so I'm going to try another D20 for his second attack. What is your armor class? 17. Okay, I've rolled a 10 on this one, and he has missed... And I'm going to go for the third action attack, but I've got to roll like a 20 here. Yeah, I've rolled a, a 15, and that is that is not enough. So he right. uh, he lands one really good crack, and the, the other two you just kind of juke and, and dodge out of the way. Uh, round two, go right ahead. Do what you would like to do. Same thing. We're going to try and continue to be you know, very, very light afoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have some panache now, so I'm a little faster, a little bit easier for me to maneuver around. 21 against his reflex DC. Yes, that is. Also is and uh, I think as, as he as he moves around, he's going to pull <gasps> his sword and he's going to like he's going to say, I'm here for finding my fame. I've got no time for the like of you, Knuckles. And we're going to use another class ability here mm-hmm. called Confident Finisher. I make a single attack and I use Panache mm-hmm. and we hope that I hit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So many fun new abilities. Oh, there we go. 19 altogether. That better be a hit. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so with the confident finisher, that means I get some extra precision damage. 2d6. Whoa. So I'm going to roll that altogether. Uh, ooh, low rolls there. But adding all that up is going to be 8, 9, 10, 11 points of damage. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you open up a massive wound, you know, dipping and dodging right around him, uh, right across his chest, uh, down to the rib cage and parts. And he staggers backwards, falling over as he holds holds the, the bloody wound, and then on his turn, stands back up and looks ready to punch you with one hand when there is a blood-curdling scream heard from up in the, the crow's nest. The, the whole crew stopped. Some of them were, were still trying to control the ship while placing bets on who would win between you and, and Knuckles. But this scream stops everyone in their tracks as up in the crow's nest. Someone says, Stop! Excide! 
starboard! Knuckles gripes and you look over to the right side of the ship and there, against the, the horizon that has turned black here, uh, black as pitch, you see clouds disappearing in the haze of this darkened storm. It looks like the entire world has has gone out. Panic spreads amongst the ship as an unbridled, unnatural fear runs through your core and that of your crew. Terror trying to seize you up. Uh, make me a will save against fear. Oh, how is my will save? Yeah. Do you Not bad. Washbuckling bonuses. Not bad. 18. Okay. Yeah. So while most people are, are screaming and kind of frozen in place, you can move uh, as the, the scene unfolds. The ship kind of sinks and it, it feels like, you know, you're doing a quick dive in a roller coaster and then your feet are kind of planted to the, the planks as it then rises up a lightning strike on the main mast above you lights it in a, a magical fire that lights up the the deck and the, the surrounding waves showing this darkness for what it really is a massive wave over a hundred feet tall one of the the rogue wanderers around the eye of abendago that they call dragon's claws the same one that Jakar dreamed of many years before when you showed up on his doorstep. And as you brace for impact, Tyler, the scene cuts out here, sputters, stops, and we're back on the shore of the, the Fever Sea, south there of Blood Cove. Years after your landing as an amnesiac child, we see maybe a 16-year-old Cassius after his, your naming, taking the, the last name Vel walking with the, the woman who kind of took you in, uh, Nadia Jakar, walking along the, the shore. Uh, she's asked you to, to come along with her, digging up clams and mussels out of the surf. And uh, she says, I, I brought you here with me to talk, Cassius. You are old enough, strong enough, that my son, well, I cannot tell you what to do anymore or where to go. And I wanted to hear it from you, from your own lips. Oh, what is it you wish to do with your life? I think I was meant to travel. I was meant to be out on the waves. I I know that land is, is not where I feel at home. Oh, no. I've filled your head with too many stories. It is as I thought. The waves brought you here to us, Cassius. And I fear it would be the waves that carried you away. Uh, something I have not told you. Jakar is not my only child, not, not own, always. For many years ago, I too had a daughter, a good girl, strong, but she fell in with a sailor who left her here with nothing but a broken heart and a full womb. The boy, Dwali, my grandson, I loved him so. He was as strong as his uncle Jakar and nearly as tough as you are now. And when his mother fell ill and passed into the next world to be judged by our ancestors, what is it? it broke something in him. He too looked out on the ocean and thought that he would make his mark out there. And it has been 30 years to the day that he left as nothing more than a boy. And I blame those same waves that brought you to us for taking him from me. But a soul for a soul, perhaps. She walks you further down the beach past a K, much further from the village than, than she usually goes clamming. 
maybe further than you've been, all the while telling you different stories of, of her daughter, her grandson, and says, as you start climbing up a hill now, oh, we found you this far south all those years ago. Uh, in my time, I told you that I was no stranger to the open seas. When I met my mates, we settled here and raised a family. I, I still had the ability to steer a ship and navigate by the stars. However destroyed it, it was, I was able to get this one into harbor. As you both uh, crest a small bluff overlooking a cove, she pushes back some of the brambles here with leathery skin that's been toughened by sea brining. The barbs are seem unable to prick her as she kind of parts this natural veil. And it's like she's pushing it aside and just a huge curtain and beyond it glittering like on a stage appears to be a large three-masted ship sitting uh, low in the water in a state of great disrepair. Nadia says, uh, we found it off the coast a few days after we found you. This is the ship that you were on when you, you came here. Not another soul aboard survived, but perhaps it was, it was yours and it will have some answers as to who you are, Cassius, and where you come from. I had a ship? Oh, this is amazing. I can I can finally go. And and then he kind of maybe stops and thinks and goes, I I promise though, I I will come and visit. I will be back and I will bring you great stories. Tears start streaming down her face as she says, I, I know you will. I will I know you will. Just like Dwali said he would. We enter a montage mode here now over the next few years kind of training yourself on on the ship, holding a wooden sword perhaps at that time, training up to the real thing, while Jakar helps you rebuild it uh, alongside some friendly retired sailors from a local fishing village paid weekly in, in rice spirits and dried fish. And by the time your 19th birthday rolls around, it's finished. The ship has been fitted out, this the sails stitched, and you've poured literally tons of, I guess gallons, of blood, sweat, and tears into the boards of the vessel. Kind of know it inside and out. There's a celebration uh, when you shove off with a a younger hired crew later that month uh, from Blood Clove, kind of heading north with a cargo full of um, local foods, you know, fish and rice and things, and, and kissing your adoptive family farewell here. We see you now transported back to the first time that you set sail for for the Eye of Abendego. As uh, water hits the phoenix, this huge hundred-foot wave capsizing her, but not after you see kind of half of the crew just picked up and bodily thrown into the ocean, just swallowed up by the storm like they were nothing. As the storm rages, you see that uh, as you roll, you kind of have become entwined in the, the, the wheel well, in, in the helm, your belt kind of like tying you to the ship. The storm, as, as it flips you over, you become kind of trapped in a little pocket of air for a moment that seems to, to bubble up around you. And you watch in horror as, as the ship that you've spent years building is just tossed like a toy in the storm. But it's in this fugue dreamlike state that you see it down beneath you in the the depths of the ocean here 
There's a soft, greenish-golden glow. It seems as distant as a, a far-off star, but as the, the waters begin to, to rise in this bubble up to your neckline, it grows larger, coming closer and closer to you until you can make out its shape, its form, its circular form. And as your head goes underwater and you, your lungs begin to burn as you hold in air, uh, you're sure that this is indeed the magical wheel of Besmara's ship. But as you reach out to it, it's it's much smaller. You can you can just see it through the the darkened waves here. It, it almost shrinks as you you grasp it in your hand, and it fits in one hand. And it is not a ship's wheel, but rather a a golden sextant that shimmers with magic. Passing out then and there, it is is a while before you come to. But when you do, you feel your lips kind of turning into what seems to be stone. If you run your gravelly tongue across them, it is a rime of salt that is, is formed on them. Dead skin. You're blind for a moment as you open your eyes and your body feels like it has been burnt alive as you wake up on the deck of your, your righted ship, just baking in the sun, dehydrated, but somehow alive when it seems none of your crew have have made it to the ship and you have in your hand a, a magical sextant that seems to pulse with power. Your crew is gone, but yeah, what what is Cassius's thoughts here about not being able to, but getting very close to to his mark? I I think he would has tried trying to talk through brined lips, just kind of say, It's real. It's actually down there. And Maybe with this, I can finally find it. I'll bring it home. I'll show Nadia. And I'll become... Well, something. In time, you head back down south and then back to Port Peril or, or some of the other ports along the, the coast here to find another crew and then head out on another expedition that, that fails. And you return once more for another bite at that apple. And on and on it goes for about six years <laughs> that have passed by in, in the blink of an eye. And all you have to show for your work is eventually a very scorned reputation and this single sextant is, is all you've gotten. But you feel good about setting into poor peril this last time. Like your luck is indeed about to change. Uh, but that's a tale for another time as that is what's going to happen in episode zero of the podcast oh, when you get to meet everyone else. I, I, I can't wait to get to the positive episodes. We're gonna have- <laughs> we'll, we'll eventually be out of unreal numbers. It's like <laughs> 0.1 yeah. half. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I feel good. It's like you said, I feel, yeah, there are negatives, but there are positives. <laughs> mm. it, this isn't a impossible task. It's just an improbable one. You, you've kind of made a Sisyphean-like pirate character in... <laughs> uh, you, you have this idea of Cassius just kind of chasing after the impossible and also <laughs> getting a bad reputation because of it. Almost like you're you're now the albatross on any uh, ship right. that, you, uh, that you step foot on. Yeah, I kind of originally got the idea I was... When we first started talking about this, one of the video games I was playing at the time was the... Uh, God of War 
mm. uh, God of War, God of War Four, um, the revamp to it, and uh, which is based, which is all set in kind of North mythology and North mythology. And two of the figures in North mythology are Skull and Hati, which are two wolves that chase the sun and the moon in the sky forever until they catch the sun in the sky eventually, which is Ragnarok. Um, but that that idea of constantly chasing something unattainable was appealing to me and I wanted to create something similar to it and also the idea of that if he ever got it what would it mean what would it mean if you rose from the depths of the sea from underneath the eye with the helm for a ship from a god it would be some pretty crazy legendary pirate stuff (laughs) it's so funny I'm I'm just realizing it's, it's one of my favorite comic books growing up is um uh did you ever read uh grew the wanderers uh, a sergio aragones oh. comic strip uh about like kind of a buffoon version of conan the barbarian oh, okay um, but one of the the recurring jokes and there are several in the in this comic is uh every time he steps foot on a ship it somehow manages to sink he's you know, <laughs> extremely bad luck in that sense so there's, there's a pirate uh, yeah. captain who's uh, very wary of whenever he's he sees him out on the ocean. Yeah, no, I I enjoy Cassius so far. I'm, I'm very excited to see him interact with with uh, more pirate crew in the future. But yeah, that's that's going to do it for cool. Well, just your little tidbit of an intro episode. Uh, so much to chew on. There's a lot more about your backstory and like how many different pirates you have made friends and enemies of <laughs> that will I'm sure never show up again in this campaign that's that's not gonna <laughs> nope happen. you've nope. never made any enemies <laughs> no he's a very popular person he definitely hasn't sent many crew members to their death in the briny deep yeah that like I said that's a tale for another time and we will get to it eventually uh, until then thank you so much for playing with me thank and you as always Uh, pirate people out there. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.